What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, how about them Patriots, man? How about them Cowboys, man? How about them? <laughs> I know that you're now a very big Rams fan. You probably have a girly jersey on the way. Uh, me, lifetime Rams fan. Always loved the great <laughs> city of Los Angeles and St. Louis for that matter. Yes, big Rams fan. It feels like same shit, different year, so I, I don't have to go into it too much. I feel like I can talk about this every year with the Patriots, mm. luckily. Thank God for Tom Brady. But thank God also for all of our subscribers, our fans, anyone that listens to the podcast. And uh, if you're catching us here and you're like, hey, you know, I want to follow these guys too, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. Go to our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. And you can follow us on any platform where you can even get podcasts. Also, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out. Before we jump into anything too far, I wanted to ask you, Dave, Vampire Weekend, Ezra Koenig made a announcement and he announced you know, that they're going to be releasing two singles every month leading up to the album drop, which seems to probably be in either late March or April. But he also gave the initials of the album, F-O-T-B. Any names or anything that you saw out there that you were like, huh, that'd be a fun name for a Vampire Weekend album. Fallout the Boy was my favorite. I haven't really thought about it, but I'm sure all the Vampire Weekend heads are racking their brains right now why did you have something in mind i didn't have anything in mind it's probably going to be some like ridiculous hoity-toity name right i mean they're not usually too outlandish vampire weekend was the first one and then modern vampires of the city was the most recent one they're not super crazy usually so it's probably going to be something like follow fallout of the something you know or Hmm. some weird stuff (laughs) like that i'm really excited for that that was one of the things that caught some some attention this weekend but there were a couple other things that caught some attention over the past week and the Firefest docs the dueling documentaries released by hulu and netflix hulu actually dropped theirs a week before netflix had publicized they were going to drop theirs which is pretty interesting and they both kind of focus on different things have you given any of these docs attention have you been following along did you watch no, it's funny. I've on many of the websites I frequent, I saw lots of Firefest coverage, and I was like, "Oh wow, I have less things to read this week." I, I couldn't care less. Yeah, don't really care. I feel like I got most of this enough of the story when we got the story initially. I didn't feel a need to learn more about it, you know. But I like Ja Rule. I guess that's something to be interested in. R U L E, man. I I actually watched both of them. I, I was pretty fascinated by it, and I think the thing I liked about both of these documentaries is. They both approached it from different perspectives. Hulu's was, I think, a little bit more about Billy McFarland, the creator of Firefest, and uh, really a con man in a lot of respects. He's currently in jail for a lot of different charges related to the festival. But also, you know, the Netflix one I think was a more in-depth view about all the th- all the different parts of this that went wrong. It was really fascinating, both of them, and it, it's great to watch. But I was wondering, what do you think about? these two streaming platforms both dropping documentaries pretty much simultaneously about the same thing yeah it's funny you wonder how close uh hulu was initially planning to drop you know they probably saw the opportunity and maybe fast-tracked it it'll a few weeks who knows i mean this happens a lot let's not forget seminal classics olympus has fallen and white house down releasing the same year <laughs> true or no strings attached and friends with benefits releasing within six months. A lot of this happens just by chance. Uh, Deep Impact Armageddon. Granted, those aren't documentaries. I think they've had just two documentaries, but it's the same specific thing. You know, I guess they were both rushing to uh, get it done. I mean, a lot of times there are rushes on even like stories, let alone actual like current events like this. So I don't know if we'll see this come up, but I also don't 
think there's a whole lot to it. Netflix was probably a little taken aback, and Hulu maybe just saw an opportunity to like use their marketing. Yeah, I, I think it's a perfect storm of events for the subject matter being something that is pretty fascinating. I mean, music festivals mixed in with these all these really famous people who were a part of it, um, and also like the con man part of it was is that's a very famous topic for crime documentaries or documentaries just in general so it's kind of a a whirlwind of also the target audience for this is probably skewing younger you know mid-30s to lower 30s which are a lot of netflix viewers so um, i just think that they saw an opportunity and they saw that this was something that is going to draw a lot of eyes people are going to be really into and they're like we gotta get this out i don't foresee this being a problem with you know a lot down the road where three or four streaming platforms are all going to be releasing documentaries around the same things. But these sort of cultural events, especially with the younger demographics, I think will draw that kind of... Just because they, they know it's, it's quick, easy, they can throw it together. I mean, parts of the Hulu one were them literally typing things into Google. And that was like how they filled some of the visuals. So it's it's not total high-end production for a lot of it. Right. I recommend checking them out if you're interested at all in that. Something I had no interest in checking out was M. Night Shyamalan's glass but i know you did so tell me all about it glass is interesting just because it's the third movie in this sort of trilogy that m night has created that we didn't really know was a series at all until the very end of split the second movie in this series and split came out early 2017 and basically the last scene in the film connects back to unbreakable way back in 2001 and unbreakable is probably the second big hit from M. Night after The uh, Sixth Sense, and then Split was probably his biggest hit for a long time, because he's had an up-and-down career, as most people know, as a director. So this is really interesting if you just look at how this movie got made, making it into a franchise, all of that, or you're just going to come at it as just a film, which is what I think most people end up doing. And it's funny, because this is coming out, you know, January, right? There's really nothing else coming out new this whole month that really mattered, right? And it's going to make a lot of money at the box office as a result. And I think it's uh, an interesting movie, definitely entertaining, definitely has some flaws as well. And I think that it's weird, because tonally, it, it definitely serves as like a sequel to Unbreakable and Split throughout the beginning, but I think ultimately it's more of a split sequel than an unbreakable sequel because uh, James McAvoy, who's the lead of Split, has like does this really, really strong performance as all these various personas in this character with a, like a split personality disorder called the Horde. And he's really awesome to watch. It's a really showy role, but he just like will flip on a dime into being a different persona. It's really cool. And obviously, if you like more of that, definitely watch Split itself, which uh, also brought us uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, probably her most high-profile movie at the time. But Glass really serves more as a split sequel than anything else, whereas we get Bruce Willis again from Unbreakable, but it's obviously been a long time if you subtract the Split cameo. And he has a little less to do than, say, McAvoy. And then also coming from Unbreakable is Samuel Jackson's uh, Mr. Glass, who's like the, the antagonist of Unbreakable. And it's they make an interesting choice where Glass does not speak for like the first half of Glass, the film, because uh, he's like in a wheelchair and he's like all like doped up on drugs. It's an interesting choice just because Glass... Well, lots of monologues on Unbreakable, and of course, Samuel Jackson is a good performer, a good talker, right? So it was an interesting choice. Um, but ultimately, I thought the tension 
was pretty strong up to that point. But I think some people are saying, and I would have to agree, that it ends in kind of an underwhelming fashion in terms of just like the showdown per se. And I think people that are fans of Unbreakable and this really being the first true sequel of sorts to that are also probably disappointed because Unbreakable was kind of like a stealth superhero movie. You don't really understand that Bruce Willis is becoming a hero or someone with powers even until like towards the very end of the film. And it's more of a meditation on what that means. And it's quite impressive in that regard. You'll see it on top 10 list for superhero movies everywhere you look right it's a great film but then here in glass like they're very meta like sarah paulson's character who's a uh like a, like a psychiatrist and they have them all in like a psych court they get captured yada yada she's like trying to like gaslight them and saying you're not actually people with powers you just have like delusions of grandeur it's a very interesting premise about how we like think about superheroes considering they dominate the film industry these days we talk about them all the time again check out our aquaman review from a few weeks ago but despite it being that meta and like them act- actively using the term superhero and talking all about that, I don't know if it quite lands. It doesn't quite seem as philosophical as Unbreakable. And I think the action or lack thereof just kind of comes and goes. So it's not quite as tight as a movie like Split. So I think if you've seen either of those movies, I definitely recommend it because I think uh, McAvoy's performance alone is worth watching. It's just, just really fun. But, you know, ultimately it has some flaws, but the more I think about the movie, I just kind of think about what it was trying to say or maybe what it could have said instead. So uh, it's an interesting film. And again, for a January movie, I think I definitely got a lot out of it because I don't expect much from this month, right? And for M. Night, I mean, it's tough to hate on him for this just because like he basically financed this whole movie. And I feel like anyone who finances a movie to the tune of like a $20 million budget deserves some credit because that's hard to do these days. Mm-hmm. So Glass is a interesting film. <laughs> But uh, I think worth it for anyone who saw the, the previous two, for sure. Yeah, critics have pretty widely panned it. I mean, it's at 36% Rotten Tomatoes, 42% Metacritic. It made $47 million as of today, Monday 21st. Yep. So it's it's doing pretty well, especially since uh, Sham- Shyamalan. Shyamalan, you got it. thank you, uh, <laughs> funded it himself. But I, an interesting thing, because a lot of the previews kind of saw sarah paulson playing this you know you mentioned this role where she's kind of sitting there talking to them kind of almost like serving them these like the instances they have these lines these moments did you feel like she was utilized well in this movie she was effective to a point because she's really kind of pushing the plot forward she's the one who brings them all together but then by the end we there's this big reveal and spoilers for the movie but you find out that sarah paulson isn't really this well-intentioned person in the medical field per se She's actually working for this like secret shadow cabal that is making sure the superhero people stay in check. We don't understand that until Act 3. And it was just kind of like a weird left turn for me because I didn't feel like it was developed enough. Nor did I think you need to add that to her character. I think it was just fine yeah. if she you know, had the medical thing. But it's funny though because if you watch the movie, there are some weird guy, uh, le- leaps of logic in terms of like that's not how they would do that in a real psych ward. Then it makes make sense because she's not actually trying to do anything like legit. So I think she she was fine. It's it's a nice look for her in terms of movies. She had more to do in this than Ocean's Eight. That's for sure. There's that M Night Shyamalan twist, I guess, for this one, right? I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. Where are you at? Just uh, I mean, I know you're giving him credit for funding it. Where are you at on him as a director in general at this point? Very up and down. Yeah. Inconsistent. After Earth, The Last Airbender, bad, mm-hmm. bad, bad. Six Sense, really good. Signs, pretty good. Unbreakable, awesome. Split, really good. And that movie only cost $9 million. Like, that was a huge financial success for him. And then this, you know, I think it's solid. It's okay. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it's trash. I feel like it's getting maybe like a like stronger negative reaction based off all the reviews. I think the reviewers are being fair, but I think most people are seeing it like it's got like a B cinema score. That's disappointing polling for sure. But most people are just like just kind of disappointed or maybe a little confused that that's where the movie went. So yeah, him as a director, he really kind of ex- ex- exists outside of the studio system. So it's quite the interesting career. I know he's kind of partnered with Blumhouse these past few movies. But like I said, I, at the end of the day, I give him credit just for continuing to make what he wants to make despite having some issues getting funding. But yeah, he's up and down at the end of the day. So it is what it is. Someone that has been on a heater recently and uh, was was bound to have a misstep, Ariana Grande. <laughs> and boy, it seems like her most recent single, Seven Rings, uh, is a bit of a misstep. You know, it dropped last Friday. By the end of the day, Princess Nokia had posted a video listening to Seven Rings and then switching Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, and then switched <laughs> over to her song, Mine, from her mixtape, 1992, and set, ended it with, hmm, sounds about white. Whew. <laughs> a lot to unpack here, Dave. Where do you want to start? Yeah, well, and then further on throughout the weekend, uh, 2 Chains came out, his song Spend It, as well as his Pretty Girls Like Trap Music, The Pink House Aesthetic, which was popular in the uh, in her video, as well as Soldier Boy, going way back to Pretty Boy Swag in 2010, that flow. So a lot of, yeah, I think... There's a few jumping off points with this. I think on one hand, all the, a lot of the Ariana Grande stands were like going after Princess Nokia. It's like, yeah, you, you're happy she she brought you in the news, blah, blah, blah. I was like, first of all, y'all sleeping. Princess Nokia is very good. Very good rapper. Check her out. But I think going at her for the flow, just strictly like you're biting a flow. We went through this with Valet last year. That's not an original flow. Princess Nokia didn't invent this flow. Neither did Soldier Boy. It's pretty simple. So I think... You want to call it that's not original flow, that's fine, but you guys also can't really claim ownership. So I think that's, that's kind of where that ends. But there's another point with Nokia where she's bringing up the referencing black women changing their hair and their yeah. weaves and stuff, which is like really much part of the culture of black women. That's something unique to them. So I think kind of referencing that, that that's a little, puts a bit of a foul taste in my mouth coming from Ariana Grande. That's something she really relates to, despite the fact that she loves hair extensions. So I think that, that that's a fair point. But, I mean, what was your take on this? Because, I mean, as you said, Nokia ends it with uh, sounds about white and, you know, white people that aren't in the hip-hop space taking from that culture when they see fit. Uh, we saw this with rock and roll. We've seen this with rap, pop, it, Justin Timberlake, blah, 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 whatever. Happens all the time, whether they're respectful about it or not. So that's nothing new either. But, I mean, what was your read on this? My basic read was, one, I wasn't very impressed with the song. I didn't think Ariana needed to even make a song like this. I mean, not only is it a venture into hip-hop for her or rap for her, which she just didn't need to do. She doesn't need to be that type of artist. She can be successful. She already is very successful without doing things like that. Um, the number one artist on Spotify. <laughs> but it but it also, the, it starts almost every verse with a, a few of my favorite things. It's biting that as well. So like, you know, it's stealing from multiple different sources on this. I don't really knock her for stealing the flow. Again, like you already made the point. People have been doing this forever. It's not an original thing. Um, and there, it's going to happen again where people are going to have similar flows to other people. So it's not something I, I really knock her for. But I just go back to why make this song? Why drop this Um you know, Ariana, she's not going to, her career is not going to be hurt from this. She's she's not a rapper, so I don't worry about her stealing flow uh, in the future or anything like that. But the idea that Princess Nokia would kind of come out and be like, hey, you're stealing my flow. It's like, people can put you on blast for stealing 
their flow or biting on their flow or having something similar, just kind of opening yourself up to more criticism there. Um, and I, I already think this was going to be an Ariana song that wasn't going to blow up. So it seems like a something that was made big out of nothing. You know, the, the hair extension part, I fall a little bit more in the middle on because, you know, Ariana Grande is known for having very long hair and liking her hair extensions, but it does sound very similar and very culturally appropriate, appropriating. So it's a bit in the middle on that one. It's, yeah, yeah. it's it's hard ground to talk about without, I think, going in one direction or the other and saying like, oh, this person's completely in the wrong. Because I think it is a very gray topic. Sure. And I think, again, like to what you said, if the song was good, the conversation also changes a little bit. Like if there was like, she had like some mega producers make a, a certified smash that happens to bite all this shit, a lot less people would probably care, to be honest. And I th- honestly, I kind of been thinking about this for a while. She's been rolling through this Thank You Next record rolled out quick and we don't know when that album's coming but this is the third or fourth song post sweetener that she's released already hasn't been that long of a time i mean maybe she's pushing these songs out a lot more quality control you know what i'm saying maybe slow down a little bit with this it does seem a little quick the other thing that annoyed me was all her her young fans throwing out give me the loot like they never heard that phrase before (laughs) god damn it why'd you have to do this ariana (laughs) (laughs) yeah ariana grande fans i i would I would not say that they are probably the most aware. Leave us a comment below if you disagree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might want to turn comments off for this one if that's what we're going to do. But <laughs> I think I want to move on to another artist. I don't know if this artist has potential to be Ariana Grande big, but I think she has potential to be very big. Maggie Rogers. So two years ago, 26, oh, three years ago now, 2016, crazy is 2019. Pharrell goes to an NYU music class. And, you know, students there playing their songs. There's a YouTube video, so please type in Maggie Rogers Pharrell. And Maggie Rogers sits down, plays her song Alaska, and Pharrell's face throughout it is priceless because you can see him being like, holy shit, like this this girl <laughs> made this? Like, I can't believe it. He had no no, no notes to give her to make her song better, just said that it's, it's great the way it is. And that point forward, Maggie Rogers on the fast track to stardom, but it took her, you know, two basically two years to get her debut album out she played snl recently she already has a sold out show at hammerstein ballroom in i believe it's next month or maybe two months from now tickets resale tickets that are like close to four hundred dollars she's a mm. hot ticket item right now so did her first album meet your expectations dude heard it in the past life good or bad well first first major label album of course she did have two independent or self-released projects from a few years ago which i haven't actually heard yes i thought this album fucking rules man honestly i I liked almost every song i heard i thought it moved at a great pace and again i can't speak to her earlier sound but this current sound is pretty much just pop but that's cool of me because i think this album fucking rules and frankly i thought the last song of the of the album just called with the back of my body body, track 12 and that's like a triumphant finish line type song i really like that and sure enough, that's one of the songs that Greg Kirsten had a hand in. So yeah. that makes sense to me. And he also worked on a few other songs as well, probably four or five. So yeah, I'm a, a big fan of this. Again, an artist I have not really been up on. And I didn't really really know who she was at all until I heard about the SNL performance. So I was definitely late. Yeah, big fan. Definitely going to pay attention moving forward. What about you? Yeah, you know, you, you were talking about how Ariana needed that big producer to kind of elevate Seven Rings. Greg Kirsten's influence on this is undeniable. He he actually was on half the track, so either produced, co-produced, or 
co-wrote six of the 12 tracks. He had his, his fingerprints all over this. And I, I think, you know, songs like uh, Alaska, which was already a great song, but Back in My Body is one that stands out. The Knife is another one that stands out. It has this mm-hmm. like this classic club beat in the beginning and starts working in these like quick snaps and these like metallic percussion instruments like somewhere in there. It's really layered and textured. And that's the thing I think that stands out most to me. It's, it's very poppy, but it's it's intricate. It's not just, you know, it's not uh, bubblegum pop. It's It's got deeper meaning in the lyrics. I think a lot of it is, you know, using relationships as metaphors to talk about her, her rise to stardom and how weird that's been for her, how odd that experience has been. Each track gives you something different. And, you know, you mentioned Back in My Body is a super triumphant ballad. But then, like, On and Off Again probably was my my favorite song off the record and that's a little bit more of a uh like a r&b-ish type pop song you know a little bit more in the the chorus and i even think all the singles really stood out as well as songs that i would be revisiting like light on i think is just a really great pop song fantastic it gets stuck in your head it catches you i don't really have anything bad to say about this album i didn't think there was really a bad song on it i think it's a really great first debut for her i agree i think there's a very little if any fat which is pretty impressive. A really tight 40 minutes or so. What do you see her ceiling being at this point? Yeah, she signed a Capitol Records, so it's not the biggest label. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I'm curious. I mean, she has obviously Kirsten in the corner, in her corner, but. And Pharrell. And Pharrell, sure. She probably needs a radio song or a song to take off on streaming, right? She needs something to get in those playlists to really just get a ton of eyeballs on her in terms of the way it works these days. And I'm not sure if that. It happens with this type of pop music. I don't know. This kind of, just in terms of the calendar, reminds me of Camila Cabello's album coming out very earlier in the year. A pop record, quite different than this, but kind of served the same purpose in terms of what we had at the time. But she also was much more famous, much more established as a mainstream artist, even though that was her first solo album. Maggie Rogers definitely starting at the bottom, per se, in terms of trying to achieve big, big stardom. So I'm very curious to see what this does first week sales. I really want to see like how this streams. Because she has a lot of young fans. But we got really, we need to know how many there really are to get a sense of how big she can get right now. Yeah, a couple of the articles I was reading said that on like the uh, indie rock list, she was pretty, her, some of her songs are doing pretty well. So she might gain some of that attention. I think, I think just in terms of ability, from what we, we see on this uh, debut studio album, she has everything that, that Haim has, you know, um, I think sure. that she, I even hear elements of, of like Taylor Swift, a little bit more poppy than Taylor's yes. beginning was. So I think she has a really high ceiling. It's just, I don't think this record is going to be mainstream enough to propel her at this point. Yeah. But I think certainly, like you said, having Kirsten, Pharrell, and she has a lot of other backers in her corner for being only 24. I think we're going to be hearing about her for a long time. So really excited about uh, Maggie Rogers. And uh, we will be uh, adding probably one or two of her songs to our playlist. So go to Spotify, follow Nostalgia Best of 2019, where we will be updating that weekly. A bit more established artist that also dropped a record. First one in five years. Sharon Van Etten, Remind Me Tomorrow. This wasn't an artist I was super familiar with until recently when I started kind of looking into what was coming out in 2019. I went back and started listening to some of her records. She's, a, I think, a, a very competent and very skilled artist, but not one that I think I would have been too excited for. Where did you stand on Sharon Van Etten before Remind Me Tomorrow dropped this past Friday? Yeah, I was more familiar with her as being indie artist who was cast in the Netflix show The OA, as well as someone who performed a briefly on Twin Peaks The Return, the third season in 2017. Ah. Not familiar with her music. 
And upon listening to this, that uh, makes sense to me. Her vocals are a little too mellow for my taste, but I can see the appeal for most people. She's uh, what thirty-eight years old. She's been around the block. She's quite established uh, in that in, in that indie scene. And I think I did see did see the appeal here, and I did think there were some uh, some some good songs for sure on this it, one. What songs stood out to you? Seventeen, yeah. Comeback Kid, which I believe are both lead singles. Yep. Uh, no one's easy love. I think was called. Memorial Day. Yeah, there's some there's some good songs on there. Yeah, I think that basically there's like a, a run in the middle of this album from No One's Easy to Love through Malibu, which is, I mean, that's the majority of the album right there. There's, I think, only like 10 or 11 tracks and that's seven of them. Um, but those are just a really strong run where she brings a lot of different sounds into her yes. music. And, you know, unlike, um, unlike like Waxahachie, which is a much more classical like uh piano acoustic guitar like just gonna keep it basically to the basics she pulls in a lot of different elements she adds a lot of synths mm-hmm. a lot of texture yeah. really no guitars to speak of right uh, and when, when the guitars do come in they're very intentional to like build up to like the the chorus or crescendos i think that she made a really great album remind me tomorrow is i think excellent i just don't know if the music on here are things that i'm gonna be coming back to frequently um i just think that like like you said it's very mellow it's not super triumphant at parts 17 is probably the one that i liked the yeah. most uh from this it's definitely the standout but like you mentioned comeback kid um and I, like i said uh, malibu also i thought was really good um sharon von and someone i think I, i'm glad that we listened to because it was someone i wouldn't have been familiar with i'm probably gonna venture back into our other projects and see if there's anything else there i like so why don't we move forward to your guy Mike Posner. My guy. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I, I say your guy because the text I got from you this past week was, Mike Posner's record is a lot. <laughs> and I, I'm interested to hear your take on this. A Real Good Kid. This is his third studio album. Everybody knows him from I Took a Pill in Ibiza from 2015. Cooler Than Me was like his real first breakout single back in 2010. So, I mean, we're moving close to a decade with, with Mike Posner as a pop singer i guess i don't know if i'd say star necessarily but you said this album was a lot what did you mean by that yeah and he he has an interesting career even apart from my likes or dislikes of his music just because he's kind of like gone away as a solo artist for moments and just like wrote for other people famously wrote boyfriend for justin bieber and he talks about an album he's quite a wealthy man even though he only has a few hits really speak of but yeah see this real good kid in tight 37 minutes or so a largely acoustic listen following up what his second album sounded like and really getting away from uh his first record where cooler than me was from where he was just really trying to be more of a pop uh jay justin timberlake ripoff per se right now he definitely seems more soulful more uh meditative more you know thought-provoking i guess but the thing with this record for me was that intro where he's like welcome to my album yada yada this is meant to be listened straight through. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're good. Uh, if you don't have the time, please uh, don't text. Please turn off your phone. Otherwise, come back later. And I'm like, all right, you're, set- you're setting a bar right now, yeah. man. You're telling me not to text anyone. You're not telling me that to t- I can't be totally distracted to listen to your record. And by the way, I got gas during this listen, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but you're setting a bar for yourself. And I think that's unwise. And then when I listen to this album, I'm like, holy crap, is this thing all over the place sonically? There's an there's that one random song, I forget what it's called, uh, where the keys show up for the very first time on the album. Was it Drake? Uh, perfect. I'm perfect. Oh, yeah. And then 
there's times where he's acoustic. There's like one or two times where he distorts his voice. I just let he made a lot of weird choices uh, in terms of sonics. And I thought, you know, take that away. That's fine. I don't think anything was bad per se. Just I thought it was quite jarring as something to listen to straight through, which was what he wanted me to do. And then there's that one moment uh, towards the beginning, I believe, where he like talks about he's wealthy, successful, but he still isn't happy. And I'm like, all right, man, that's fine. That's genuine. That that's a real real thing people go through. But it's not original. Okay, that happens to a lot of famous people that are successful. You got to give us more than just telling us that. And I don't know if he really got there on these other songs. So I just thought he like let me down in terms of like the bar he was setting and what he was trying to tell me. And that was a w- weird album. I don't say it's bad. But it was weird, man. Yeah. When you said a lot, I kind of went into this being like, this is either going to be just overproduced or lyrical content is going to be super like wonky or weird. And I didn't think it was any of that. I, I actually felt like, for my my perception of Mike Posner going into this, I felt like, damn, he showed me something here because I really thought of him as like, all right, he's he's a pop artist, he's gonna drop a song every couple of years that will be a hit, and then he'll kind of fade back into nothingness until he pops back up again. But he actually, I think, took a real like a real chance here. He really tried to say something. Now, you know, going back to like. Is that an original message, what he was trying to say? Not really. He was talking about grief a lot. He was close with Avicii, and Avicii recently died by suicide, and also talking about losing his dad um, from an illness on this. So I think that he was really trying to kind of display his grief and and use this form as a a way to work through some of that. And, you know, you can really hear that in that, you know, January 11, 2017, uh, you know, starts, I think, where he's talking with his dad. It kind of ends how it's supposed to be, ends with his dad drip which seems to be the emotional centerpiece of the album a bit jarring probably the most <laughs> emotive i've ever heard mike posner on a song is is drip which was <laughs> I, I still don't know if i if i think it's a good song or not i'm, I'm kind of probably need to listen once or twice more i don't know if i want to but i probably will but there are there are moments right i think there's some there's some good stuff here and i, I give him a lot of credit because i i think seeing him as an art i see him more as an artist now than just pop machine like i did right and to that point, recently, I mean, he had that second record in, I believe, 2016, which showed something of this 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 side, right? But then, top of 2017, he released that Mansions project with Black Bear, which was really bad, really, really bad. And I was like, man, that's disappointing, because if you remember a few years ago, before that second record come out, when he, we really hadn't heard much from Mike Posner, he was just doing the writing shit, he released a few YouTube videos of him making music with other artists like in the studio and it was like live recordings like there was one with nick heaton back she was a thing there's one with sammy adams they, they were actually quite cool a bunch of them were covers if i remember right and i was like oh this is interesting and like he clearly has a lot of like friends in the industry i just want to see something from him and this is definitely something like like you know he definitely made a conscious choice you know he did not there's no uh second stab at making another Ibiza song right right uh, he gets credit for that, no doubt. Is there any songs on here you you did like or that you recommend? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a little soft for me. Probably wouldn't go back to much of this, but again, that's just my taste. Yeah, you know, I I think if out of any of them, Drip is probably the one I would say go listen to because I think Rick that's Flair Drip. He was probably doing doing the most and probably embodies the album as a whole. Interesting, interesting album from Mike Posner. One I don't think will be coming back to very much throughout the year, but. Let us know your thoughts. Leave a, a comment below if you are a big Mike Posner stan and want to tell us why we're wrong. All right, so we left the sad boys for the end today. We got Future and James Blank. Why, why don't we start with Future Hendrix Presents Wizard. 
Oh, Dave's shaking his head. <laughs> First of all, I think the, the Hendrix thing still annoys me. Like, relax, bro. Let's, let's, let's slow that roll just a second. And <laughs> you know, maybe I maybe I don't know what's going on. Why does he hate vowels so much? I mean, th- that's just an aesthetic thing. People do that all the time. Right? I don't think he's. <laughs> already, he, don't blame just future for changing the way the words look. Right? Sure. Future. <laughs> we, we we've talked about future quite a bit since we started the podcast. He's been a pretty prolific artist over the last couple yeah. of years. Starting back in 2016, I think we reviewed. No, sorry, 2017. What he dropped? Future. Last year, we mm-hmm. talked about future and Juice World presents. And Beast Mode 2 as yeah, well. Yeah, Beast Mode 2. Made a lot of songs <laughs> over the last couple of yep. years. I'm not a big Future fan, so I want to kind of put that out there. I've never really been very uh, attracted to his music. I find a lot of his songs sound very similar, and his vocal approach I don't know if I necessarily love. But I was willing to give this a listen, and I thought that really what I came away from is, oh, this is a this is very competently made record that doesn't pack a lot of punch to it kind of where yes. I stood. like it was it was yep. a fine listen but i was like oh okay like i'm glad it's over i don't really know if i'd want to listen to it again but it wasn't bad it's funny i'm in i'm, I'm in the similar boat with you but i'm almost more disappointed by this because it took me a while to really like find future songs i liked like i never cared for march madness or cody and crazy his first early hits i know it's blasphemous to most people but they never did anything for me what well, a time to be alive for drake it's whatever Right, and then when everyone made a big hoopla in 2017 about the two albums in back-to-back weeks, uh, Future and then Hendrix, the two titles, and Mask Off was from the first one, and it's like I did not think those were good records. I thought Hendrix was blatantly bad because he's just a terrible singer. But again, I was in the minority on that. But then something changed when he dropped Beast Mode Two last year, and I was like, wait a minute, where has this guy been the whole time? And like I heard a song like I Wi-Fi Lit was just a fun song, but Cuddle My Wrist, a song I've gone back to consistently since that tape came out. And yes, Future has had lyrics pretty consistently, mostly about his relationships and Sierra. There's a lot of Sierra on this new one, The Wizard. But I never really connected with with, with much of his messages until Cuddle My Wrist. And that really gave me expectations for this. I mean, the thing with Juice World, World on Drugs, that was fine, but that was kind of like, what time to be alive? It's a collab project that they didn't really collab as much as you would assume, right? They weren't really in the studio that much. But for this wizard, man, I was just, I was, I was, these are just more future songs. <laughs> these didn't do anything for me. I was like, how did Beast Mode 2 be better than this? And then I heard that, you know, this is his, this album gets him out of his uh, deal with Epic. He has a new deal lined up. And I'm like, what, is this like your Endless? Like like Frank Ocean before Blonde? Right. Like, but the thing is, the problem with that is Endless was good. I don't think this is good. <laughs> I think this is more future. This is more, this is like uh, uh, Evolve and all those other mixtapes he had that just people don't remember anything about. Like he makes a ton of music. And I thought this was just a lot of that. It was more future songs. Yeah, I think this is just a lot of B-sides. Like probably a lot of leftover tracks he had that maybe he wasn't super jazzed about, but he wanted to get out of this record deal. I actually think the thing that stood out to me most is just like the lack of energy I felt on this. You know, future has always kind of dabbled more into sadder, lyrical content um pain relationships that fall apart you know you talk about sierra as a major source of uh pain and focus and writing and i I think where he shines the most on this is when other people are coming into the songs and breathe some life in like i thought the song first off with travis or unicorn perp with young thug and gunner were actually the the two that i was like oh there's something here that sounds actually a little bit more energized and a little more fun than the rest of them um, but right. 
overall, I was just like, fuck, this is like, this is just what he always is. And like, I, I don't, I guess that's probably why I'm not so disappointed in him because I don't really have those high expectations for him. I know he's a big draw, but he just has yeah. never really been that for me. Yeah, well, I mean, shit, he's done 100,000 plus every record since DS2 in 2015. He's Crazy. gigantic. But I guess Beast Mode 2, for my personal enjoyment, was an exception to the rule, unfortunately. Also, the, about Sierra, can we let that go? You've had ki- kids with like three other women since then. <laughs> Is that really what we're still talking about? I don't know. Seems like, like I saw people comparing it like, you know, Future talks about Sierra the way Pusha T talks about cocaine. And I'm like, let's nip that in the bud right now. That is not a fair comp. <laughs> yeah, no, that, it's, it's a weird comparison, too. I don't even want to touch that one. <laughs> Any last thoughts on uh, The Wizard? Uh, listen to the next one. <laughs> it's going to be it's gonna be Future's Blonde, apparently. An album I was not that excited for. Uh, James Blake, as an artist, is always... He's intrigued me, but he's never really hit the mark for me either. I've always kind of, again, seen him as like a sad boy. He had some interesting songs. He he has a very interesting style, which I think is really hard to kind of nail down and describe fully. But other than a couple of songs like Retrograde is you know one that stands out. Oh, yeah. Life Round Here. Yep, Life Round Here. I, I never really got into him. So when I heard Assume Form was going to be dropping, I was like, I'm going to listen, but I don't know if I'm going to like it. And boy, was I fucking wrong. <laughs> James Blake on this this record, uh, assuming form, goes from being a sad boy into being like a very happy, like in the throes of love, like just very flowery <laughs> person. And I'm here for, for this James Blake. Cause I thought this this was like a masterpiece, to be honest. It's a very, very good record, in my opinion. I think he draws a lot of new sounds into this, too. It sounds like a lot of like Asian influence in hmm. his sound kind of similar to like aqueous transmission from i'm gonna look look that up while i go because i, I <laughs> write that down but he really draws a lot of different sounds into this i think really add a lot to it but what did you think of this before we get too far in yeah i'm kind of with you i've always like checked in on james blake when he releases new music but it's he's always been a an artist that has kind of been hard to get into not the most accessible music to put it simply i thought the Color in Anything, his third record, the last one to come out from 2016, is quite long and quite uh, monotonous and kind of hard hard to get into, which was disappointing because Overgrown, his second record, was so great. We had those two hits we just mentioned. And meanwhile, despite me being up and down on his actual solo r- records, he's been all over the industry, and particularly all over hip-hop. I mean, just recently on King's Dead, Stop Trying to Be God yeah. off World, Lemonade, Frank Ocean, Bonnie Vare is like his like alpha alpha to his omega so he's been in the game and with around people that matter so it's like everyone cares about you You clearly know what's going on but give us more as a solo artist and i really frankly i think this is it i have to listen to overgrown again to say if i like it more but i think i like this one more because i'm with you i think assume form is quite a cohesive record and the vibe is really synced also much more accessible and easier to get into you can float in and out with this you can actually try and listen to what he's saying and realizing that he has grown as a as a person as a man or you can just kind of vibe with it and listen to like the one with travis and metro was it like how high or whatever it's called yep and that's just like a total vibe song but then you know you go throughout the record and like i think there's just a lot of cool moments on this and that one song which he actually released back in may called don't miss it where he like does that like weird distortion with his voice. I was like, oh, that was cool because he's do that all the time. And he didn't really do that at all on this new record up until that point. And I thought the sequencing was really good for that. Um, and of course, the Andre 3000 verse. I mean, 
Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, classic Andre, dude. And I actually think he works in the like Moses Sumney, uh, who's on this Rosalia. He really works them into the songs beautifully, and he lets them influence the song without letting them take over the the song, which I think can happen when an artist like James Blake brings and tries to influence a song around that that artist's personal influence and sound. By the way, just going back, Incubus uh, is the artist behind Aqueous Transmission. But yeah, I heard a lot of that throughout the first part of the album. And I think the second half of this album is like, you really can't skip any of these songs. Basically from the moment Can't Believe the Way We Flow starts, I think that there's not a moment on this record that I don't find totally intriguing power on i think is great song that really like there's like a change up in there at one point that i thought was really wonderful can't believe the way we flow might be the most beautiful song of like the last like three years just the way it like really flows (laughs) together like water almost at times and even even the beginning like you mentioned travis fits so beautifully into a james blake song which i would never have guessed i would have thought he would have totally thrown me out of this record yeah, James Blake totally blew me away. And I, I just am really happy that he met Jamila Jamil from The Good Place and that they seem to be in a very good relationship because <laughs> it seems like this has really influenced his music into a more positive direction that is just way more palatable. Yeah, James Blake, man. I did not expect to like this record. This yeah, I agree. Frankly, I need to listen to it again because I think, like you said, there's both beginning and the end have distinct flows that fit within this vibe. So this a really well-sequenced, really well-produced album that also has lyrics that are more interesting than anything else he's really done so yeah big fan of this i'm interested to see how this translates to him live now i'm not even sure if i'll catch him live sure. but uh even in the past when i've seen james blake i've always left really underwhelmed because i don't know if his music especially in a festival setting translates so well maybe in a smaller space it would be pretty good like a very true needs to be indoors i think i think so so but the, these songs are a lot more upbeat so i can see them being very like mid-afternoon at Coachella type thing. Um, so maybe I'll tune into his set that day. Sure. Um, but yeah, we're going to be adding a couple of these songs to the playlist again. Nostalgia, Best of 2019. Go follow that on Spotify. So uh, we had, what, two or three albums that came out that we were really high on. Maggie Rogers, uh, James Blake, and Greta Van Etten. I was high on. You were you know, not super, super. Greta Van Etten. Yeah. So this, this, is, this is my thing this weekend. Uh, I've been saying Greta Van Etten all weekend because Greta Van Fleet was playing on SNL this weekend, and I was ah, excited to gotcha. watch them. So I was getting confused, but yeah, Sharon Van <laughs> and thank you for catching that. Yeah, I well, actually, funny, just to kind of maybe cap off the pod, when I watched Greta Van Fleet on SNL, I think I liked their record less only because I do not see them as rock stars, just something about the way end. The, the the sound I still like and the, I think that they're still good artists is just was a little off putting to actually see what they look like and how they look when they perform. So they seem a little, little too try hard. <laughs> sure. Check out our review on their album. Check it out. Anything for next week, Dave? What are we talking about? We're definitely going to talk about Sex Education, the British yes. show on Netflix right now. Definitely catching a buzz. Well, well liked. A lot, lot to like with this show as well as some impressive cast members so talk all about that full season review so catch up on that show on the flicks some smaller musical records i'm most looking forward to dreezy's second album big Dreeze. she's a chicago rapper big fan of her some other stuff as well i know megan trainer's finally dropping that album we'll see what kind of pop record that sounds like after hearing maggie rogers nothing really new on the, the movie front and true detective still going so we'll find some other things to talk about i'm sure in the news as things pick up but yeah sex education make sure you watch that yeah, and maybe we can talk about Crashing a little bit too. Season three premiered last night, and uh, 
you know, two episodes in, we can kind of talk about our impressions of the season. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about it a lot last year, so it might be a good. No, idea. I've never seen the show, to be honest. Oh, I'd recommend getting into it. It's it's pretty good. So maybe something else we'll I'll, I'll at least touch on next week if if we have nothing else. So mm-hmm. again, follow us soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod. Hit that subscribe on YouTube and uh, go listen to uh, Greta Van Etten. You'll enjoy them. Peace out. Yeah.